0: SECTION 2 OF THE GREAT EVENTS BY FAMOUS HISTORIANS VOLUME 7 THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN FOR MORE INFORMATION OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG THE GREAT EVENTS BY FAMOUS HISTORIANS VOLUME 7 BY CHARLES F. HORNE, Rosetta JOHNSON, AND JOHN RUDD THIRD ESTATE JOINS IN THE GOVERNMENT OF FRANCE A.D. 1302 by henri martin at the commencement of the fourteenth century when the power of philip the fourth of france surnamed the fair was at its height contentions arose between him and pope boniface the eighth over the taxation of the clergy and the right of nomination to vacant bishoprics and benefices within the dominions of the french king Affairs reached a crisis when Philip laid claim to the county of Mogul, which the bishop of Moglion held in fief from the Holy See. Boniface provoked Philip by a chiding bull and added to the provocation by sending to the king, as negotiator in their differences, Bernard de Sausset, whom the pope, in spite of the king, had created bishop of Palmiers this tactless prelate made matters worse by an arrogant attitude and afterward spoke of the king who received him in somber silence as that debaser of coinage that proud and dumb image that knows nothing but to stare at people without saying anything ignoring his ambassadorial privileges philip had him arrested and imprisoned as a french subject on a charge of treason heresy and blasphemy, and sent his chancellor, Peter Flotte, and William de Nogore to the Pope to demand the prelate's degradation and deprivation of his see. The Pope, who meanwhile had launched his famous Occultafili bull, received Philip's ambassadors, but their interview was marked by a violent scene. My power, exclaimed the Pope, the spiritual power embraces and includes the temporal power so be it replied Float. but your power is verbal that of the king real to deliberate on the remedies for the abuses of which he deemed the king guilty the pope summoned all the superior clergy of france to an assembly at rome philip and his council resolved to fight the enemy with its own weapons to enlist public opinion on their side and to shelter themselves behind a great national manifestation the three estates of france were convoked at notre dame in paris the tenth of april 1302 to take cognizance of the differences between the king and the pope for the first time since the establishment of the kingdom of france the town deputies were called to sit in a body in a national assembly alongside of prelates and barons this great event was the official acknowledgment of the middle class as the third estate and attested that henceforth the villages, the towns, the communities, formed a collective entity, a political order. It is a singular thing that the first states-general were freely convoked by the most despotic of the kings of the Middle Ages, and that he had the idea to seek in them moral power and support. The attempt would seem foolhardy in a prince so popular as Philip the Fair, but Philip, in reality, risked nothing, and knew it. The feudality did not possess sufficient union. The people did not have enough force to profit on this occasion against the crown. Besides, the Pope was more unpopular than the King and had been for so much longer time. The nobility, which since the reign of St. Louis had coalesced to resist clerical jurisdiction, had not changed in sentiment. As to the people, filled with the remembrance of St. Louis, they loved the King still, better than the Pope notwithstanding the oppressions of philip and besides it was easy to foresee that the mayors consuls aldermen jurats or magistrates who were to represent their cities in the great assembly at paris dazzled with the unaccustomed role to which they were called and desirous to please the king in their personal interest or in that of their towns would be under the control of the adroit lawyers who were prepared to work on their minds and to direct the debates the bull nevertheless if its exact tenor had been known might well have produced in many respects a contrary effect to the best wishes of the king the reproaches of boniface touching the debasement of the coinage and the royal exactions reproaches which so irritated philip might have met with other sentiments from the townsmen the chancellor peter Float, foresaw this he distributed among the public instead of the original bull a species of resume in which he had assembled in a few lines in the crudest terms the most exorbitant pretensions of boniface at the same time suppressing everything which touched on the troubles of the nation against the king boniface bishop servant of the servants of god to philip king of the french fear god and observe his commandments we want you to know that you are subject to us temporarily as well as spiritually, that the collation of the benefices and the prebends, revenues attached to the canonical positions, do not belong to you in any way, that if you have care of the vacant benefices, it is to reserve their revenue for their successors, that if you have misapplied any of these benefices, we declare that collation invalid and revoke it, declaring as heretics all those who think otherwise given in the lateran in the month of december etc at the same time they cause to be circulated a pretended answer to the pretended bull philip by the grace of god king of the french to boniface who gives out that he is sovereign pontiff little or no salutations may your very great fatuity know that we are subject to no one as regards temporal power that the collation of vacant churches and prebends belongs to us by royal right, that the incomes belong to us, that the collations made and to be made by us are valid in the past and in the future, and that we will manfully protect their possessors toward and against all. Those who think otherwise, we take to be fools and insane. This brutal letter was not destined to be sent to its address, but to abase the pontifical dignity, or at least the person of the Pope, in the eyes of the French public. The spirit of the people must have been greatly changed if this end could be thus attained by a means which formerly would have drawn universal indignation on the head of the sacrilegious monarch. The attack of Philip, on the contrary, was completely effectual. The prelates arrived at the states-general timid, irresolute, neutralized by the difficulties of their position between the king and the pope the lords and the townsmen hastened thither irritated against the bull heated by the violence of the royal answer the members of the assembly were influenced each by the other according to their arrival the pungent and wily eloquence of peter Float did the rest the chancellor as the first of the great crown officers and the king's chief justice opened the states by a long harangue in which speaking in the name of philip he exposed with much force and ingenuity the enterprises of the court of rome and its wrongs toward the kingdom of the church the pope confers the bishoprics and the rectories on strangers and unknown individuals who never became residents the prelates no longer have benefices to give to nobles whose ancestors founded the churches and to other lettered persons from which results also that gifts are no longer given to the churches the pope imposes on the churches and benefices pensions subsidies exactions of all kinds the bishops are kept from their ministry being obliged to go to the holy see to carry presents always presents all these abuses have done nothing but increase under the actual pontificate and increase every day conditions that can no longer be tolerated that is why I command you, as master, and pray you, as your friend, to give me counsel and help." The Chancellor added that the King had resolved, on his own initiative, to remedy the encroachments that his officers had made on the rights of the Church, and would have done so sooner had he not feared the appearance of submitting to the menaces and orders of the Pope, who pretended to reduce to a condition of vassalage the most noble kingdom of France. Which had never been raised but from god peter float dwelt especially on this latter argument and appealed in turn to the interests of the nobility and of the clergy and to national pride the fiery count of artois arose and exclaimed that even if the king submitted to the encroachments of the pope the nobility would not suffer them and that the gentry would never acknowledge any temporal superior other than the king the nobility and the third estate confirmed these words by their acclamations, and swore to sacrifice their properties and lives to defend the temporal independence of the kingdom. A Norman advocate, named Dubasque, procurator of the Commune of countances, accused the Pope in writing of heresy for having wanted to despoil the king of the independence of the crown which he held from God. The embarrassment of the clergy was extreme. The members of the church, fearing to be crushed in the crash between king and pope asked time for deliberation their declaration in the assembly then being held was insisted upon already cries arose around them that whoever did not subscribe to the oath would be held as an enemy of the state they acquiesced satisfied apparently by an appearance of violence which would serve them for an excuse at rome they acknowledged themselves obliged in common with the other orders, to defend the rights of the king and of the kingdom, whether they held estates from the king or not. Then they prayed the king to be allowed to go to the council convoked by the pope. The king and the barons declared themselves formally opposed. The three orders then separated, so as to write to the court at Rome each its own side of the affair. The letters of the nobility and of the third estate, which as may be imagined were all prepared in advance by the agents of the king, and were only subscribed to and sealed by the assistants, were addressed not to the Pope, but to the College of Cardinals. The dispatch of the barons expressed rudely the torturous and unreasonable enterprises of him who, at present, is at the seat and government of the Church, and declares that neither the nobility, nor the universities, nor the people require correction or imposition of any trouble, whether by the authority of the Pope or anyone else, unless it be from their sire, the King. The letter is signed, not only by the principal lords of the kingdom, but also by several great barons of the empire. The epistle of the mayors, aldermen, jurats, councils, universities, communes, and communities of the towns of the Kingdom of France has not been preserved it is known only by the answer that the cardinals made that it was conceived in the same spirit as the letter of the barons the letter of the clergy is quite in another style the clerks address their very holy father and very holy sire the pope expose to him the complaints of the king and of the nobility the necessity in which they find themselves engaged to defend the king's rights and the anger of the laity The imminent rupture of france with the roman church and even of the people with the clergy in general and conjure the highest prudence of the pope to conserve the ancient union by revoking the convocation of the ecclesiastical council the states general were dissolved immediately after the unique seance which had so well responded to the desires of the king the means employed to attain this result were not entirely loyal nor was public opinion altogether free. It was but slightly enlightened on the grave debates that the authorities affected to submit to it. Nevertheless, it was an important matter, this call to the French nation, and it must be acknowledged that the genius of France responded in proclaiming national independence and in repelling the intervention of the court of Rome in the internal politics of the country. End of section two.